Thanks for listening to the 100th episode of Talk is Cheap. We recorded this in front of a live audience and experienced some minor technical difficulties along the way. So we apologize in advance for any sound quality that might not sound as good as what you used to when listening to our show. This was a first for us. Please bear with it and enjoy this special edition of Talk is Cheap with special guest, Giants linebacker, Jonathan Casillas. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 100 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giulio, joined as always by James Crash, Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advance. This week, we have a special guest as we're here at Red's Restaurant in Carlstadt. Jonathan Casillas joining us here live. Jonathan, uh, how are you? Giants linebacker, Jonathan Casillas. Let's have yeah. a crowd out here for you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we're really happy to have you here. Episode 100. We've been playing this one for a while. We're happy to get uh, a Giants player out here, and Jonathan was kind enough to come out tonight. Thanks so much for the crowd for coming out. We're going to have some tickets to give away to the Giants home opener, so we're going to have some fun, a Q&A later on. Uh, but let's get started. We have, we have Jonathan, and uh, Dan, let's, let's start off talking to this guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess place of stars is uh, the Jets game Saturday night. I know it's usually a little bit more than just your average preseason game. Yep. It was a little chippy. Just what was your takeaways from that game for you guys? Well, it was a win. That, that was good. You know, finally good to get one of those. Um, you know, I think uh, we had a strong showing in our first team, uh, speaking defensively. Of course, you know, uh, you know, scoring six points and creating some turn. I'm excuse me, 16 points and creating some turnovers and creating a lot of pressure for them. And you know, really not letting them get going. You know, for the Jets and you know, for uh, our guys to come in and have that big play at the end of the game for us to win the game. Um, it was great. You know, we could have took some plays back and uh, make some corrections as we've seen today on film. And uh, as we do that, and uh, you know, getting ready for the Patriots game. Where are you guys right now? You know, I think at the, after the third preseason game, it always feels like you want your team to be ready because from our perspective, it's over the preseason. I know you guys got one more game, right. but we're not going to see most of the starters or any of them in the fourth one. Where do you feel your team's at right now? Well, I think we're, uh, we're at a good place right now. You know, I think um, there's some roster spots that need to be filled, and um, I think that, you know, it's, it's a couple spots where that's going to be identified, you know, come Thursday night, you know, against the Patriots. And, we're going to solidify who's going to make the 53-man roster for the New York Giants. And, and then we'll be ready to, to take on Dallas. I think we're, we're right where we need to be. And, um, you know, we've got a couple pieces that we need to add on and, and, and lock on uh, before we, you know, finalize roster spots. And I think we'll be fine. John, what's that experience like for you? I mean, obviously, you're going to be on the roster, but not knowing, you know, those couple of spots on the defense, who's going to be? I mean, how do you kind of watch the fourth preseason game and, and kind of handle the next couple of days? As me personally? As you personally. Well, yeah. for me, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help out as much as I can. I don't know my playing time if I'm going to play at all, you know, but I'm going to approach the week as I am playing. Uh, I am studying for Dallas as well as, uh, as New England. So, you know, no matter how much I actually have to play out there, you know, I'm going to help, help the younger guys and, you know, try to be a little bit of a coach out there on the field. So let's talk about Dallas. I mean, we have the preseason not over yet, but we're all looking forward to week one, Sunday night football. You guys are going to be in Dallas against the Cowboys. Beat them twice last year. They only lost three games all the regular season. New year, but Dallas is, is looked at right with you guys as the favorites in this division. When you're looking at them on tape, what are you seeing right now as you look forward to that game? Well, they're a talented group. You know, you, you take away Ezekiel Elliott, you know, and um, you, you just take away their, their magnificent runner. They still have a great running back. They have two great running backs, guys that have played for a long time. You know, Darren McFadden, you know, he's always been a, a bell cow wherever he was at if he was the main guy, you know, especially when he was down in, in Oakland. And then you got Alfred Morris, who 
I don't know how he ended up in Dallas and being a backup, basically. You know, he's a great running back for Washington. I played against him several times, of course. How did you guys have so much success against them last year? I mean, really no one could beat them. I mean, you think about it, the last game of the season, they rested in Philadelphia. That's the only reason they lost that yeah. game. They really only lost two games they tried to win last year, both to you guys. How did you have so much success against that team? I think we, we match up very well against them. You know, um, they, they don't really run any trick them, you know, you know, crazy plays and, you know, plays that, you know, surprise you. You know, they're, I, I wouldn't say they're basic, you know, but, you know, they, they run pretty much, you know, what they run. You know, it's not – they're not going to be running all kind of crazy new stuff. Dallas runs what Dallas runs, and, you know, they have a, a, a great roster offensively, and, um, you know, they got one of the best tight ends to ever play the game, a great receiver, stand-up quarterback, um, one of the best O-lines, if not the best O-lines since I've been playing in, in the league. You know, so they, they have their recipe and they stick to it, you know, and they have really great players at great positions. I mean, you're obviously going to be fired up whoever you're playing the season opener, but it seems like it's always the Cowboys. Right. It's always there. You've known this game's been on the calendar for about four, six, four or five months. Right. What is the feeling, like, all offseason knowing that that's where it's going to start again? Oh, it's great. You know, um, you know the, the division leaders, you know, um, the guys that were maybe shoo-ins to, to be in the Super Bowl last year, you know, and uh, th that's always something that, you know, uh, that you circle on your calendar, you know, now that they're division rivals, not now they're division rivals, but, you know, so it happens that one of the better teams in the NFC is our division rival in the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, we've been preparing for them for a while. You know, we, we know who we're going to play, you know, September 10th. And for a while, I didn't know who we were going to play the week after that, you know, because I'm so focused on Dallas, you know, and, and, and what, they, what they're doing and their scheme. And, okay, Zeke's not playing, but we still got to prepare for him, you know, stuff like that. Does, does that help you get through training camp, those long weeks? Oh, yeah, looking forward now. to the first game. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, that's why this week is it's a little different. It's a little funky. It's a really, really, really short week. And um, for me, you know, we're kind of doing a little Dallas work. You know, so it's a little different. But at the same time, you know, everything was pointing to September 10th. The way we draft, you know, the way we pick up uh, free agents is, is designed to be Dallas. And Dallas is September 10th. That's just the way you do things in your division. You know, you got to beat the best teams out there. You mentioned Ezekiel Elliott a few minutes ago. We don't know if he's going to play or not. They're having the appeal this right, week. Right, right. And we'll see. Do you pay attention to that as much as maybe we do? Are you paying attention or are you just focused on what the plays they run? Because you mentioned they have other good backs that right. would fill in for him. How much are you paying attention to the day-to-day -day stuff with if Ezekiel is going to be on the field or not? I, I don't pay attention at all to the day-to-day. -day. I just, you know, if it comes out that he's not playing or if it comes out that he's playing, that's fine. They may manipulate their game plan a little bit, but not really. Like I said, they, they have really good backs behind him. And maybe Alfred Morris is a little more of a different runner than both of McFadden and Ezekiel, but they're not going to do too much. Dallas is Dallas. They're going to run what they run. Is the vibe different for you at all coming off of the 11-5 season, going to the playoffs? Just when you know, you're around Jersey all the time, you, you feel the fans. I mean, does it feel a little different? Yeah, you know, um, it's a lot more Super Bowl talk. You know, that's, that's been very abundant. You can ask my, my dad, Flash, you know, it's pretty standard in his conversation when he meets you. Um, you know, and it wasn't like that two years ago, you know, when I first got here. Um, you know, it was like, all right, you know, we got to get this thing going, you know, a couple of six and uh, 11, six and 10 seasons, excuse me, six and 10 seasons in a row. And, um, you know, so it was good to, you know, get back on the right track and get back to good Giants football. So now you've obviously been on two Super Bowl teams, and you know what that feels like. Yep. Does this team, would you know right now if it has that feeling? Uh, well, I was only on one. Uh, uh, Super Bowl team during this time of the year, which was New Orleans, and I was a rookie, so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. 
Um, but, you know, the last couple of years and, you know, I, I felt good. You know, this is, a, this is a really good team. I mean, we have a Manning, you know, uh, pay, uh, excuse me, Peyton and then Eli, you know, they've won Super Bowls, Super Bowls, you know, so you, you always got to take that into, into fact. And, you know, he had a strong Green Bay game, you know, to finish the season. And everybody says, you know, when I was a kid, everybody says, you know, get Eli to the playoffs, you know, see what he does. And, and I, I feel like he's that guy. And I think we all believe that, you know, no matter how struggle the Giants have in the, in the, in the regular season, nine and seven, you know, the, the two Super Bowl seasons. And Eli finds a way, you know, and uh, we all believe that. Jersey guys believe that. New York guys believe that. Giants fans, we all believe that. What is it like to have that then? I mean, you've played with some great quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, Eli, to have a quarterback who you think if we just get to the playoffs, he's going to take us home. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's really great. But, you know, still, he's still human. You know, Eli's still going to throw a pick here and there, you know. So at the end of the day, you know, he's still human. We're still human. Mistakes can be made. Even the best quarterbacks have had really bad seasons, maybe not personally, but collectively as a unit. You know, it just happens, you know what I'm saying. So, you know, we want to make sure everything's not perfect, but, you know, we prepare the right way for every game and, you know, treat every opponent that we play, you know, with their due respect. Is there a different feeling as a defensive player when you know you have those quarterbacks on, on your side that, you know, if you just keep the game close when you were with Drew Brees, yeah. obviously Tom Brady's been doing this forever, and Eli has that reputation, that if you keep the game close in the end, in a big game, you feel like those guys are going to go down the field and score. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, I, I, and I've also been a part of the other side, you know, where it's like, man, the defense has to win the game, you know, and, and, and that's, a tough, that's a tough feeling. You know, it's like, oh, man, the offense is back out there. But the situation is not really not that good. You know, we don't have that many timeouts. I, I don't know. Definitely with Eli, we're like, all right, get Eli back to the ball. He's going to win the game for us. You know, doesn't happen all the time. But every time it happens, we always believe that he would. So that feeling never crept in last year? Because the offense obviously struggled, and you guys did carry them for yeah. a, a lot. Of but play. still, we still believe in Eli, you know, and Eli we trust, you know, and, and that's, that's how we built our team, you know, to be for Eli. You know, we brought in Brandon Marshall, and, you know, we signed Sterling, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, we drafted Sterling, excuse me. You know, we brought in Evan Ingram this year. Like, it, you know, I think things are built for Eli to have success, and with Eli's success, the Giants have success. The one thing I don't think it's talked about enough with Eli is that Iron Man streak. For a defensive player, I mean, you know it. You're trying to get the quarterback every week. Yep. I just find it amazing that since 2004, that guy hasn't missed a game. That has to be a comforting feeling for the coaches, for you guys on defense, for the whole team, knowing no matter what happens this year, week 6, 7, 8, 12, he's going to be under center. Right, right, right. I mean, something, you know, catastrophic yeah. happens. But, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to have the center of your team you know, the, the focal point of your team, very consistent or the consistent block or the pillar, whatever you want to call it, like you just know he's there, you know, and you can just build around him. And I think that's what the Giants have done since Eli has been here. It's great. Let's go to the Super Bowls because you've won two now. And, and I, both of the games that you played in the Super Bowl were really exciting games and back and forth and really turned on a play. And you recovered the onside kick. The Saints, Colts, Super Bowl, coming out of the half, Sean Payton calls for the onside kick. What were you thinking when he made that call? Was that something that was planned all week? Was that spur of the moment? How'd that happen? Well, you know, it's crazy because we ran that kick. It was called ambush. And the way that Thomas Morris that kick it wasn't an over-end type of onside. You know, sometimes a low dribble and it pops up high and a double dribble, low bounce, whatever it is. Or to kick it directly at somebody. His was like a top. He kicked it on the side and it spun like a top. And it literally went to like 13, 14 yards or 12 yards. And it will come back. 
Like it was like the weirdest thing. And in practice, it always worked. Like it always worked. We ran it every week. Every week we prepared and ran it. Never ran it all year. He never said that we were going to run it at any point. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're going back and forth in the Super Bowl. We get in at halftime. He comes in, Sean Payton comes in, fired up. We're running the ambush. And everybody was like, yeah, like, yeah, let's run it. Because we all knew it was going to work. You know, it so happened that it went between a couple guys' legs and it started popping around. And then I was able to come from the backside. But it ended up working out, you know, in the long run. But. It didn't work out how we planned it. That wasn't planned. Well, we were, we were watching that. We got to ask you because you always hear what goes on in the bottom of piles. What goes on in the bottom of piles in a Super Bowl on the outside kick? I mean, it felt like it was five minutes long, bro. I mean, I mean, if you watch the video, I come from the backside, and when I dove in, I literally had the ball in my hands. Like it was like, whoa, like balls right there. <laughs> and I'm literally squeezing the ball like the life of the ball, and I feel nails and I feel people grabbing and twisting my face mask and you know I'm getting hit I don't know what I'm getting hit with the knee I don't know and like I said it lasts like five minutes and then once they start pulling guys off and I feel like you know it's like maybe 200 pounds 250 pounds not 670 you know <laughs> like 700 pounds on me anymore you know and I was like all right now look at the ball and then there's a blue glove come off the ball I'm like all right it's just it's our ball like we got the ball and it was like white ball white ball and that was it <laughs> how, mu how much of a relief was it to hand the ball to the official, I guess, at the end? I mean, it, it just for them saying white ball, it was just like, wow, like it really worked, you know. And, and not to say we knew it was going to win the game after that, but like we knew it was a huge momentum swing. And back then, I remember the, the plan was to steal a possession from Peyton Manning, steal a possession from Peyton Manning. And uh, the interception happened a little later on in the game, too. But that was what we wanted, steal a possession from Peyton Manning because he was – you know, I mean, Peyton Manning back then, he was he was throwing for 4,500 yards a year and 40 touchdowns. You ever talked to Eli about that? No, I never did. Never did. You stole a Super Bowl from the Manning. That's family. true. <laughs> you got to get one back now. That's the whole thing. You got to give one back to the family. <laughs> well, that's that's the question. You, you won one in New England. You won one in New Orleans. You don't give those back. No, <laughs> most guys don't get one. Yes, but what would it mean to get one here? Everything. Everything. I mean, you know, and that's just personally, you know, and, and – I, my number one goal is winning a Super Bowl. You know, like there's, there's that and then all my little personal stuff that I have. But that's not my number one goal. And I want to get Eli his second. I want to get Zach Diazzi his second. I want to get Dominique Rogers Camardi his first. I think he played in two, if I'm not mistaken, and lost both of them. And he's played in such a long time. Brandon Marshall the same way. He's never really been on a good team. You know what I mean? So it, it's good for, for guys like that to get experience. And I mean, for guys like that to get a ring and me to get my third ring. I'm being very vain here. I want my third ring. Um, I mean, it'd be great. You know, I, I, I'll try to stay around Jersey and New York as long as possible after that. You better. I mean, you <laughs> might as well. Is there a sense of urgency with this team? I mean, you guys aren't young. The quarterback, Eli, we know, who knows how many more years he has, three, four, whatever, but he doesn't have a lot left. Is there a sense of urgency with this year's team? You guys are good. People think you could be really good to win it now? Yes, because I think every year it has to have a sense of urgency, but, you know, you look at the roster and how everything's shaped up and you know, somebody's going to get paid very soon. That means people got to go because you got to pay him. Um, this is the only, this is the last chance we're going to be together as a team, as a unit, as a 2017 New York Giants team. We have one year to do it, one shot. I don't, you know, miss my last year of my contract. There's no guarantees I'll play football next year, not even just for the Giants. You know, there's no guarantee. So, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket and, you know, I'm trying to go out there and win it all.
That oh. somebody probably would be Odell Beckham. I think you're, you're referring to there. Um, but if people talk about Odell everywhere. I mean, he's just—he's like a—you say his name and people just want to talk about him. What is it like to be a teammate of Odell Beckham? G- give us that perspective because we see it. I mean, Dan and James see it on an everyday basis. Could be from the media. We see it as fans. What's it like being Odell's teammate? Well, you know, it's funny because like I started my career with, with with a guy similar to that that fame, and I say similar, which is a shadow of him but it was Reggie Bush sure. you know and, and when I started everybody that knew I played for the Saints that wasn't a part of NFL or football like my family or my friends or whatever they're like hey you met Reggie you know yeah how's Reggie you know same thing here and how's Odell like that's the second conversation like that's just, that's the second thing it's like how you doing well how's Odell doing you know what I mean like that's just how it is you know he had a little shoulder so I go back home my mom you know my aunt you know everybody's asking you know, how's Odell? Is he all right? He's been practicing. Is everything cool? Just making sure everything's okay, you know? For doing anything for me? Like, no. Odell doesn't need anything from you. <laughs> but uh, it's just how it is, you know? And uh, he's such a he's such a star. And, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate the dude. You know, he's like a, a younger brother for me. And, you know, it's like... Uh, I want to be like him, and he kind of want to be like me. He want to have a nine-year, ten-year career, and I want to be like him. I want to be a star, you know, in fame. Not really. I, 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 can, I don't really like all that extra stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm a simple guy. Yeah, but, you know, he is he's unique, <laughs> and he's a good player. He's a great player. When you watch him and he, he does what he does on the field, do you like that he wears his emotions on his sleeve? Is that something cause you wish you could be like? Not everyone could play like him right. and yet wear their emotions on their sleeve. What's that like? Right. You know what? It comes with the territory. You know, I, I feel like, you know, you got to put him up there with the greats. And I'm not talking about just offensive greats. Like, I'm talking about, like, LT greats. Like, you got to come – like, LT, he might have a couple sacks, but he might throw the cooler at somebody on the sideline. He's definitely cursing a couple people out. That's just going to happen. You know, so it's like you can't really do that now because everybody's, you know, being recorded and, you know, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you're a terrible person, da 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 But this is the type of person we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, that emotion leads his day-to-day, you know, how he approaches the game. And he has ups and downs, and I think Green Bay was a down day for him. You know, maybe the little Miami, I don't know. But, you know, he wants to be great. He wants to be great. He has a tattoo with all these great people on his leg, and it's like Muhammad Ali and Bob Marley, and he wants to be legendary. And, I mean, as of right now, I think he's going in the right direction. But all the legendary people, Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson, all of these, Muhammad Ali, they all had their little things that they had to deal with, their, you know, their public uh, nuances that they had to deal with. They were eccentric. Exactly, you know, and uh, and he's just one of the millennial guys that's, I mean, he's a rock star playing football, man, you know? I mean, the one thing that's interesting about him, as much as he gets heat from the outside, you guys always get his back publicly, seems like privately. I mean, I saw on social media he was Spider-Man yeah. for your daughter's birthday a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, great. What is it that people don't see that makes you guys, don't, you know, not roll your eyes at some of the stuff he does or, or, you know? Because everybody sees the antics, you know? They see him dancing on social media. Yeah, he dances. Of course he does, you know? But we see the, the little stuff like that. Like, he'll come to my daughter's birthday party dressed as Spider-Man. I didn't pay him for that. I just asked him to do it, and he did it. He knows my daughter loves him. And then he goes speaks to her when she's on the sideline when he can. You know, and like for me, a person that I've played and seen these superstars and guys that come and go and these, you know, you know, ego guys, like, yeah, he has an ego. He's cocky, of course. I mean, I would be too if I was him. I mean, you know, stuff don't stink. You know, I mean, maybe a little bit. But, you know, I mean, dang, you know. And 
people, you know, they ridicule him for it, and it, but he's he's a great guy off the field. I mean, absolutely great guy. You know, it's just he's at the top of his game, and maybe he, you know, on the field matured a little faster than he did off the field. That's that's I I think that's kind of what we're seeing in front of us. You know, just a mature, beautiful talent on the field, and a little bit of immaturity off the field. But I think he's learning. 23, 24 years old, and you have the catch, and everybody knows who you are, and you're best friends with like one of the most popular soccer players in the world. <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> so you mentioned the question you get from everybody. Would be remiss if we didn't ask you, how is Odell? I think he's good. I mean, I see him around all the time. He's smiling. You know, um, he's, uh, he gets a little special treatment, you know, in the trainer room and stuff like that. But I, I think he's good. You know, it's always good to see his face. You know, he's just a – like I said, man, he's, he's just one of those guys that just – he's a spark plug, you know, and – and I, and I alluded to, uh, um, to, to, to Lawrence Taylor earlier, and just watching clips of him, I know that when Lawrence Taylor made any type of play, the whole entire Giants, the, the Giants stadium, when it was the old Giants stadium, I know it just erupted. Now, when Odell makes a play, when he takes that slant 60 yards, the place erupts. Defense, we feed off of it. Offense, the running backs run a little harder. You know what I mean? Like, it's, he's that type of guy, you know? You think he'll be out there week one? Yeah, of course, of course, of course he is. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, obviously, we're, as our job, we're very kind of preoccupied to his status and fans are. Do you as players, when you have a guy like Odell and, you know, his status is somewhat, I mean, are you constantly asking him, checking in, or is that something where you guys just kind of peel back and let him do his thing? And yeah, you, you got to let him do his thing, you know. It, 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 I, I haven't really been around a team where it's like pressure from players, like, like, hey, man, we need you back. Like, it's like, yo, get back whenever you can. You know, take care of what you need to take care of. Because we all know when you come back and you're not at your 100% and, you know, you may be compensating or thinking about something and you might be, you know, have a, have a knee and now you're living around or you're not trying to go to that. You just not not good stuff when you come back a little too early from injury and let him take his time. If you're not ready for week one, don't play week one. You know, that would be my advice to Odell if I had any advice for him. And you mentioned earlier about the, you know, the contract and you're going to have to pay him at some point. When you know, Odell comes out and says he wants like to be the highest paid player in the NFL, is does that have any impact in the locker room? As you said, you know, if you're going to pay him and you have Eli and you have other guys, you know, some other guys aren't going to be around. Or is Odell just have the ability, to, you know, the way you guys respect him so much that you don't really have that issue you might have with other players saying that? Well, I mean, I just been around for so long that I I know when stuff like that happens, you know. Uh, in New Orleans when they had to pay Jimmy stuff had to get shifted you know what I mean that's just how it how it works you know you got to prepare for it big quarterbacks you know young quarterbacks when they get their real big deal stuff just happens you know and he's that type of player where he's going to be the highest paid receiver I don't know about highest paid play, player ever I don't know about that I hope so uh, you know I always want the best for, for young guys because that always paves the way for other guys coming behind them you know so it doesn't phase me. I just know, you know, hopefully the Giants can do something with me before they do something with him. Yeah. You know, they might not have anything left. <laughs> well, your contract's up first. You're after this year, so maybe they'll take care of you. You know, you said you've been around a while. It's just amazing how much the Giants have changed in the short time you've been here. This could be your third year with the Giants. Yeah. I mean, just one year, you know, 2015 to 2016, personally for you, you were part of the, one of the worst defenses in NFL history two years ago. The jump you guys made in one year was remarkable. I remember when, when you guys signed all those players. You signed Janoris Jenkins, and um, you brought in Snacks Harrison, and you sit there and you say, all right, this is going to improve the defense. Did you think you guys would jump that much with those guys? No way. I mean, we were, we were 
at one point we were probably the most dominant defense in the league for a while. It was incredible. Know? And, um, you know, never would you have thought from being at the bottom, you know, losing every two-minute drill possible, um, you know, to being the most dominant and feared defense at one point during the year or top three at least, you know, for, for at year's end. You know, uh, there's no way you can think of that. But, you know, that's just a, a, a lot of people doing their job. Jerry Reese, starting with him and him doing his job and bringing in snacks and Keenan and, 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 and Kelvin Shepard, you know, bringing in guys like that and OV and, you know, having a healthy JPP and, you know, a little bit removed from his accident. And, you know, JPP is playing the best football I've ever seen right now, too. Segue to that. Playing awesome. He was great um, the other night. Yeah. But, you know, and then it's the, it's the coaches and, you know, getting rid of some things that maybe weren't that good the year before. And, and then players buying into everything that Spags has in front of us. And then guys like myself, Kelvin, and, you know, doing things that we, we, we were maybe a little timid to do the first year because we didn't really know the defense like that. And we didn't really have, you know, that familiarity where we can check out of certain things. And, you know, I feel like at the end of the – like last year we were just clicking and everything was going right and – Nobody could get a yard. And, you know what I mean? No, nobody get first downs. And if they did, we're going to stop them. You know what I mean? If they get in the red zone, we're going to stop them. That confidence was there. Maybe it didn't start out like that. But as the year, as the year went on, it definitely built. We've seen teams spend money in the NFL in the offseason. More often than that, it probably doesn't work out. What was your reaction when they started spending all that money? And when did you realize that well, this is the real deal? These guys are all going to come in and, and make a big difference. Well, um, I, I didn't know who um, – I didn't know how good all of those guys were. You know, I think I knew all the names because um, Olivier was the highest. He was the, the, the most touted DN, and I think uh, they, like, had a transition tag on him in Miami. Right, yeah. So that guy was pretty public, you know, and, that, and that's how actually I found out who he was. And I was like, okay, you know, all right, and maybe the Giants are signed him. I don't know. You know, and then, and then you get there, and then you start seeing these guys work and practice in OTAs, and you're like, all right, they're pretty good. And then – Preseason happens, and you're like, all right, these guys can play some football. And then Dallas happens, you're like, oh, we got some guys. <laughs> we got some real good guys, you know. And and it's 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 great to be alongside of, of all of these guys on our defense, man. You you spoke earlier about how like everything you do is engineered to Dallas. How big do you think Snacks has been as this? I know we talked about this before, but getting him in the middle, it just seems like everything in the defense kind of feeds off of him and the ability to stop the run on first and second down. He is one of the most unbelievable talents in the NFL, and I think it's overlooked because he's so close to the ball. You know, I think a lot of guys, like even the guy in Dallas, Travis Frederick, you know, he's a Wisconsin Badger. You know, they don't really talk about him, but he's really, really, really good. You know, but it's just those big uglies, you know, they don't really get all that publicity. But Snacks is a beast, man, and I just had to learn to play with him, you know, for the first couple of weeks because he does stuff a little uncanny, you know, and he can hold two gaps because he's that strong. He can throw a guy and play two gaps in front of him. He just does some stuff like that, and it's just like, all right, now as long as I get to play off this dude, we're going to be good. And because he starts it, the, the ball is right in front of him when the ball snaps. So we got to go to him unless it's pass. You mentioned, you know, the year before, the year the guys didn't play well defensively. Maybe you weren't comfortable with it, know the defense well enough. How about Spags the last couple of years? I mean, we know he's had success in the NFL, a lot of success with the Giants, winning the championship before. But you, you guys had more players for him last year. It felt like he could put his system in with the kind of players that that he needed. You know, he, the, the last year he didn't have – two years ago he didn't have the players. Last year you guys had the talent. What's it like playing for Spags? Well, I love playing for Spags. This is my fourth year playing for him. Uh, one in New Orleans and then, of course, three here. 
And, um, you know, I, I think he's grown as a defensive coordinator, I've seen. You know, he's listening to his players a lot more than I've, I've, I'm, I'm used to, you know, and that's great. I mean, you know, I, I think everything, you know, everybody has their traditions and, and, you know, what has made them them, you know. But the game is changing. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be able to go with the times and be able to, you know, transition what you have to what you got. You know, what you have in, in your scheme to who your players are. And I think he's doing a really good job at that and kind of letting us take hold a little more than we were, let's say, back in 2015. Yeah, and that year, I mean, obviously the struggles you guys had. So this is now three, four years you're going to be with Spags, three with the Giants. This is year two with Ben McAdoo. What have you noticed the difference in him compared to when he took the job over for Tom Coughlin? He's a lot more comfortable. Is he? You know, he... he well, the hair, though, he got that haircut now. That's, that's a yeah, big difference. Yeah, he's slick, man. You know, <laughs> and he's such, a, he's such a great dude. You know, he's such a great guy. And, you know, he doesn't try to act like he know it all. That's what I like about him so much. You know, I hear him even, like, talking to some guys, and he's almost, like, asking questions. You know what I mean? Like, just trying to figure things out because he is trying to figure yeah, things so out. Yes, he's only he's a second-year coach. He's a young head coach, and he's doing such a, a great job in communicating to us. You know, there's, no, there's nothing that goes on, I think, you know, with the Giants that if the players need to know, he would tell us. You know, and he's definitely empathetic, too, about everything that's going on with the world. And um, I don't know if you guys know that we watched that movie, Detroit, and, um, you know, that was very racially tense movie. And, you know, even before it, he said it's not mandatory. You know, it's optional. And I think about 95% of the guys stayed. Maybe the other 5% were just like, oh, right, it's optional. All right, I'm out of here. Not that they wanted to leave. You know, they just said, uh, hey, I'm, I yeah. have to be here. But it was such a, you know, you know, sensitive movie. It was like he's that type of guy that would play that because that's what he wants his, his atmosphere of his locker room to be like. You know, to have, you know, a movie like this and to start some conversation and have some guys, you know, who haven't experienced being a minority, you know, uh, 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 one of the white guys on the team be around, you know, other, you know, you know, black guys, minorities and see their reaction when they see the movie. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's very powerful to be around, you know, because that movie was very, very, very intense. And I'm just glad that we did that as a team. And the, the, the choice of movie was awesome. I mean, you've been a bunch of different teams with a bunch of different coaches. How unique is, is that type of thing that he does? Well, I mean, we've, I've watched movies before, but they were like, um, you know, like, uh, what was the, uh, the Sniper movie? Um, American Sniper. Yeah. I watched that one. I mean, you know, that's okay. That's not, you know, racially tense. Yeah, it's different. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's intense in a different way. So, to, I mean, for, for him to pick that movie... You know, I feel like the times that's going on right now, I think it was uh, very thoughtful of him, you know, and, and, and then putting some on us, like, you guys should be mature enough to, to, to handle this and, and then talk about it and then have open conversation. If you want to bring it up in the, in the hey, I got to, you know, talk to you about something, coach. And, you know, he, he, he always says he has an open door, and, and I believe that. I went up there and talked to him a couple times. So, I mean, How much did you even know him? Because he was an offensive coordinator. I didn't know him at all. And so you're fine. I was in the building with him. You didn't know him. I didn't know. I just knew his name. Like when they said, "Oh, McAdoo's gonna be the head coach," I was like, "Okay, that's the offensive coach, right?" <laughs> I didn't really know him. You know, that was my first year there. I knew the names, you know, but I didn't really interact with. Is that unique all. to the Giants, or is that kind of the way it works in the NFL? That you're a defensive player, you interact with your defense coaches and the head coach, and not really the offense coach. Is that is that the way it is? No, not really. It's just my first year. Okay. You know, it's hard to meet everybody right. in the building. Now I pretty much know everybody in the building. You know, I know mostly all the media guys. You know, hey, how's it going, Dan? How's it going, Jamie? You know, I, yeah. I, I say hi to people, you know, and it, there's not anyone in the building I don't know now. You know, like, not to say I didn't know who McAdoo was, but 
I didn't know like what position he goes. <laughs> <laughs> but what was that experience like? Because you're a guy who you come in the league with Sean Payton, who wins the Super Bowl in year one. You go to Belichick, then Coughlin. You've had all these proven commodity coaches, and now you're starting with a guy who started from square one. And I guess you spoke about you know watching Detroit. How much has that helped Ben? He's a young coach. He's got to build up his resume to be that open with the players. Do you think? I, I think he he's. He's one with the times. He understands what's going on. He understands the locker room that he has and that he should play music at practice because you got a lot of dancers <laughs> in the Giants roster, and we like to dance. I mean, I don't dance, really. I might do a couple steps, but, you know, that's just the type of locker room. I mean, he's very, like, he's, he's engaged, you know. He understands, like, what he has, and he's working with what he got. And a lot of, a lot of successful coaches do that, and I think the ones that don't do that who have a lot of talent, they don't really use, like, they don't really make it comfortable for them and, you know, make it a home for them. I think we have a family here, you know what I mean? So what do you guys think about the haircut? You give him, you give him a little, you're ripping for it? You guys I like that haircut? Again? Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know what, his style is, is changing a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. For, his, for better, you know, is uh, <laughs> lacking uh, very much so. Last year, I think uh, he's doing a little better in that regard. He, uh, his, his sneaker game is getting a lot better. Oh, is it? Much. He gave us all Jordans. Jordan it's a new Macadoo now. You're two Macadoo. He's got a lot of things now. Hey, I, I like that. That's a good choice. You get him in touch with the tailor yet? Or? A good, uh, <laughs> 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 you know, the, the suit, he got to work on the suit game a little bit. He do got to work on the suit game. We're going to see, you know, come Dallas. You know, he's a little, he let us kind of relax during the preseason. You know, hopefully Dallas, he, you know, could do something really nice to Taylor, hopefully. But well, a little bit more serious. Now, we talked about it a lot last year, so not to kind of go back through it, but just how big of a difference was it going from Coughlin, who had been around forever and had been so entrenched, to a guy who, you know, as we're talking here, everything is new, and he, you say he kind of changes with the time. Just how big of a culture shock was that? For me, it wasn't bad at all because I've been in several different teams before that, you know, uh, in a matter of three or four years. You know, so for me, it wasn't that bad. I think um, – uh, and it was in a hard transition. You know, Coughlin was a lot more strict. You know, so whenever you have somebody that's so strict and all of a sudden somebody comes in, there's nobody that's going to be like, oh, man. You know, they're going to be like, all right, cool. You know, yeah. I like this relaxed, change, you know. Yeah. I can chill. I can wear what I want to practice. I can listen to music. You know, so it wasn't a hard transition. It wasn't like, you know, how a team is really, really, really bad and then a coach takes over and you got to get rid of some, some guys that just, you know, just got too comfortable and accepted losing. And you know what I mean? Like little stuff like we didn't have that. You know, we didn't, we didn't have that at all. You know, we just had some really bad record seasons, but we didn't really have bad teams. We didn't have bad players for sure. We always had good players, the Giant, before I got here. You know, so I think we got better players now since when I first got here for sure. Does that, as you said, Coffin was very strict. Obviously, he leaves, McAdoo comes in. As a player, when you have a guy like McAdoo, is there more of a sense of, you know, the way he usually works when the coach leaves, they bring in the, the opposite. Do you kind of think, all right, we, we better win for Ben because if we don't and something happens to Ben, they're going to go back to the way it was. <laughs> and it was a new guy. It's always the, you know, the right, right, right. opposite of what the coach is. But I, you know, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of it like that. But um, I tell you what, personally, I felt like we let Coughlin down. I felt like the team we had, we should have a lot better than what we gave him. You know, I think we definitely should have made the playoffs. I mean, we, we lost a lot of close games, you know, and um, – not that to say he was my father figure, but he probably was to certain guys. You know, I got there a little later in my career and only had him for one year. But, like, you know, a guy like a Herzlick or even JPP, who's had him for five, six years, 
you know, as a head coach, that was the only head coach they've known. You know, I know it was very disappointing for me personally and very disappointing for them to let them down. So the next year, not to say, oh, we're going to keep McAdoo, so we'll do a good job for him, but I think personally everybody wants to do a good job. You know, and uh, a new head coach, it was a, like a, almost like a fresh start for the Giants, you know, and similar players, which, which is always good. But what about with Spags, I guess? It was obviously, you know, when you guys had that season, he's had a couple of rough seasons dating back to St. Louis and New Orleans. I mean, was there a sense that, okay, maybe we let Tom down, but we can help Spags kind of get back on his feet? He's still here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think anyone thought of it in that regard. You know what I mean? I just I knew for sure we didn't want to be the laughing stock of the NFL anymore. And, you know, people just lined up thinking they can do whatever they want to us. That wasn't going to happen. And I think uh, it was a little bit more pride and, you know, like, you know, we got to step up, dogs. You know, we can't be letting people come in here and think they're going to get a dub because our offense scores 25 points. Oh, we can score 25, 26, 7 points against them. It's easy. They're giving up 27 points a game. No, that's not going to happen. You mentioned the close losses two years ago. Last year, you seemed to win all those close games. Is that luck? Is that nope. skill? Why? Why one year to the next, besides having some better players that might have made the difference late in the games? Is that it? Is it is the better players making a play in the year before you couldn't make the play? Because if, if I know some people think last year you guys may have overachieved because you won close games. year before you might have underachieved. How does that happen? It's, it's, a, diff- it's a difference between a good team and a bad team. You know, uh, the only thing that makes a good team and a bad team is the record at the end of the year. That's, that's what makes a good team and a bad team. No matter how many points they scored or if Peyton, uh, excuse me, if Drew Brees is throwing for 5,000 yards a year and they don't make the playoffs, I don't consider them a good team. They had a good quarterback yeah, with good statistical yards, but they're not a good team. So with, with, with that being said, <laughs> for us, I think for us to, to, to make that next step to be a good team, excuse me, two years ago, for us to be a good team, we had to win those close games that we were losing. And at year's end, the, the Green Bays, the, the Seattles, those close games that they might have lost when they didn't make the playoffs, they're winning those games. You know, that's why Seattle, where they're at right now, they're always in the playoff hunt every year. Green Bay's always in the playoff hunt every year. They're not losing those close games anymore because they're a good team now, and they've transitioned over to, to have the ball bounce their way every now and again. Of course, it's luck every now and again. Of, of, of course it is, but, you know, the, the good teams get a little more, get a little luckier than the bad teams. That said, it might be nice to win a few games this year when you're not sweating it out in the final <laughs> drive, right? What do, you, what, what do you guys have to do to not put yourself in that position where every game is coming down to the wire? To take every play for what it is, you know, you, you can't just rely on a great two-minute or a, ga- a great red zone defense. First and second down got to be priority, you know. Whatever down you're on got to be priority, you know, and – not tighten up at the end of the game, like, all right, guys, we can't let them off the hook. Well, we couldn't let them off the hook three plays ago either. You know what I'm saying? Like, a sense of urgency, every play, from every guy, even the coaches. And I think that's where we need to go. Crossing our T's, dotting our I's, the details will win us games. Better details, the more we are, the better we are with the details, the better we are with victories. If we are one of the better teams in the NFL, the, the better detail we'll pay, pay, uh, pay attention to, we'll be able to beat teams by not just two or three, four points. You better beat them, but you got to be detailed. You got to be committed. You got to be coming in every day like you aren't good when you are undefeated at, at midway through the season. You got to come in like we lost the last five games, and you got to win. Your, you got to win this next game. Got to think like that. And for us to be great and to be the team that we think we are, we have to do that. 
you mentioned Green Bay, Seattle, talked about Dallas earlier. Do you think that you guys should be talked about in that same kind of era as them going into the year? Do I you don't feel there's care. still to prove. I personally, I don't care. I like being an underdog. My whole life has been an underdog. My whole career has been an underdog. So I, I, I don't care personally. You know, they could talk Dallas, and that's cool. You know, did that all last year. They just set us up to beat them. You know, week 14 or 13, whenever we played them last year. Speaking of underdog, your whole life. How did Rutgers not offer you a scholarship? <laughs> I mean, That's do you still think about that? Uh, not really. Um, but we have four Division One guys my senior year from New yeah. Brunswick, and New Brunswick is a uh, part of Rutgers, as in, yeah. like, Rutgers is in New Brunswick. It's there. Yeah. It's there. You <laughs> On know? campus. The coaches are at all our games there, man. Yeah. And um, they didn't offer none of us, which is astonishing to me. And um, I don't know. I, all I know is if Rutgers could keep half the players from Jersey in Jersey – they could compete in the Big Ten. Definitely could have won the Big East a couple times. For Many sure. times, yeah. Right, for sure. Especially when Kenny Britt and all those guys were there and Taekwon Underwood and Ray Rice was there. Man, they didn't win the Big East, did they? No. No, they should have won the Big East with that talent. It's group. incredible. Man, oh, you guys were in the NFL. You guys all made, basically all made the NFL. A bunch right. of Jersey kids. McCordy uh, twins, yep. yeah. Do you give, give Shiano a hard time in Tampa Bay? Like, you know. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We were, trying to, we were trying to win a game in Tampa Bay. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Shiano, I mean, you've played for a, a list of coaches, Peyton, Belichick, Coughlin. Obviously, Macri's trying to get that level. What is it about you know the three, the first three I mentioned, of one Super Bowl? Is, is there any similarities you see that has made Sean Payton and Bill Belichick and Tom Coughlin so successful? They're all part sales disciples, all of them. They all have similar, similar things that they do. They're all different, of course, but they're all part sales disciples. They're all like kind of like in-your-face type of guys, you know what I mean? Even Coughlin, you know, he's kind of like, you know, in-your-face one day, then cool the next day, you know what I mean? But you had to get, get used to that. And I heard that that's how part sales work. Her parcels to kind of get after you one day and then see you in the training room the next day and be like, hey, man, how's your mom doing? You know, like, and that's how those those guys are. Bill Belichick, of course, he's the monotone difference out of everybody. He's just quirky, his little quirky things that he does. But he still has his ways, how he treats practice. And pretty sure he communicates with Parcells consistently, just like Sean Payton does and just like Tom Coughlin, I'm sure, did too. Any good Belichick stories? Because you always hear that there's stuff's a little different behind the curtain than what we all see. You know what? He... <laughs> He put pressure on you in a meeting room, man. Like, like every Wednesday in, in New England, and you know how the week goes, Monday, and then, you, excuse me, game Sunday, you either have Monday or Tuesday off, and one of the other days is like a come in and, you know, bring out the rush mm -hmm. stuff, and maybe you have a walkthrough, maybe not. Wednesday's the, the next work day, and everybody knows that. So sometimes the night before, they put out the stuff on the iPads or, or whatever. So by Wednesday, you may have it or you may not have the game plan for the next week. In New England, you had it that morning, as in Wednesday morning. By that Wednesday, 8 o'clock, 8.30 meeting, he's going to start asking you questions about the game plan. So if you just played Buffalo the week before, put that behind you, and you're playing the Jets the next week as a Patriot, you better know as a linebacker, you better know who their running back is who their second-string running back is, who their fullback is, who their tight end is, who their second-string tight end is, who they use in 11 personnel, who's the passing tight end, who's the queen, who's fumbled in week 14, who came in when, when the second-string running back was hurt. I'm dead serious. You better know that because he's going to ask you questions. And the first time I was there and he was asking these questions, I was in there like, why is he asking these questions? Like, how, why do I suppose, how do I supposed to know this? Like, we just got the game plans this morning. What was that like? Because you get traded to New England during the middle of the season. It must have been like you're being dropped in a foreign country almost. Exactly. Exactly what it was like. 
Like literally, I got traded on a Tuesday. The deadline was like four o'clock. I got traded like four ten. I don't know when it was. And I'm literally on my way. I'm at the airport from in Jersey. I was visiting my daughter and my family. I was home, and I'm heading back to Tampa. I was still living there. And I get a call. I'm at the airport, and my, my agent calls me. He's like, "Yo, the Giants. They're they're gonna. You know, they're they're. Hold on. We're, we're talking about I'm go Patriots. 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 We're Patriots. Okay. So <laughs> I'm thinking. We'll get to that Giant story. In a <laughs> this is what happens when you're a veteran. You're out of league. I kind of running together. I kind of running together. All right. So so I got. I did get traded on Tuesday though. I I did get traded on Tuesday. So Bill calls me, and I'm I'm saying my buys to 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 Tampa. And all right, guys. You know, I'm out. Bill Carter, he was like, all right, look, there's an 8 o'clock flight tonight. I want you to be on it. I was like, man, I have a dog. Um, you know, I got to do something with him. Like, uh, I live by myself. <laughs> I got to figure this out. I can't bring him. He's a pit bull. And he's like, oh, well, I mean, I need you on his 8 o'clock flight. I was like, well, can I just come tomorrow? He's like, no, we're playing you on Sunday, so get your ass here tonight. All right, so I left my dog. Just left him. Don't call Peter on me. Just left him. Now he, he was good. He was in good hands. But I had to basically just drop my life. Leave with a book bag and in a, in, a, in a roller. Luckily, New England had a bye week the following week. Luckily. So you could post yourself after that. Right. So I went, literally went back to Tampa. Right. Feed my dog. Feed my dog. And, you know, and then relocate for five months and literally just drop my life in Tampa, whatever I was doing down there, and just pick it up in New England. And it was 85 degrees in Tampa. And then when I got to New England, it was 32 and it was snowing. And I had nowhere to go because I live in Florida. No dog, nowhere to go. But you won. <laughs> you won <laughs> when you got there. Oh, you won. So, all right, tell the Giants story. Then you you kind of oh yeah, 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 yeah. I might as well finish that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the Giants one was funny. So um, that was free agency. You know, I was I was a free agent at the time, and it was the same thing. It was like uh, you know, free agency just was starting, and um, my agent was calling me like, oh, we have a couple teams interested, but he's like, I think the Giants are are gonna give you an offer, and I'm at the airport. I'm like, all right. So where are we at right now? He was like, just give me a second. So I'm outside the airport. My flight's leaving in two hours. I'm just sitting on my bag. I'm just waiting, playing like Clash of Clans on my phone or something like that. And then he calls me. He's like, the Giants, you know, they, they made you an offer. And honestly, I don't think we're going to see a better offer than that. And he probably told me somebody else's offer. He was like, yeah, you're not going to get that because he was a full-time starter last year and you only played 20% of defense. So you should probably take this deal. And I was like, all right. Then I waited out, and I was like, why am I thinking about this? I get to play for the Giants at home. No brainer. I said, look, uh, I was on my way to Tampa. I should probably stay here, right? He was like, yeah. So changed my fly, whatever, signed the next day, and everything was cool. History. I mean, how does a guy go six years in the league as a situational player, like you said, special teams, and now you're you know, a starter, never really coming off the field? Yeah. What happened? Uh, just put in the work, man. You know, just put in the work. I think, um, you know, if I was, if I had opportunities early in my career, if some injuries didn't happen, I think I'd have been a starter a little earlier. You know, I was, I was a starter as a second year guy, and I got hurt before preseason game. You know, and then after that, I was kind of just, you know, I, I limped around for about a year, just kind of dealing with this injury. Sometimes that happens. You know, and uh, then Spags came, and then Spags left, and then it was like a, a culture shift, and then I went to Tampa, and then, you know, stuff like that happens. You know what I mean? And the good players, they stay around. You know, it happens to a lot of people. DRC, Dominic Roger Camardi happened to him. Mm -hmm. you know, Dominic Roger Camardi had a, I don't know, if a terrible year in, in, in Philly, but people don't even remember he played in Philly. But he was in Philly. Yeah, Eagles fans still think he's bad. I'm like, he's, he's good. He was in Philly. That one year. He was probably 
terrible over there. <laughs> just probably just not playing hard. I don't know. But, you know, it happens. And the good guys, they stay around. DRC's on the 10th year. I'm on my 9th year. I don't think we, we should probably should ask, sir, what is he like as a teammate? Oh, he's great. He's, he's, so, we got so many characters. Like, he's just so different. Like, he should. I saw his Instagram one day during the summertime, and he's at church, right? And the, the camera's facing away from him. He's at church. And then he hits the, the, the camera to turn to him. He has a Power Ranger <laughs> costume. Full costume. You can't see his face. But then he has normal button-down clothes over it. I'm like, yo, this dude is insane. And no one says anything to him because they're like, oh, that's just DRC. That's just Dominique. That's the type of guy who's just quirky like that, you know? But he's, I mean, I, I love him. I, I, I love the dude, you know? I mean, he's, a, he's an older guy like myself, and we, we're called the, uh, what they call us around the dang locker room. Uh, it'll oh. come back to me. Old no, heads? No, no. The OGs and old heads, yeah, that's for sure. Who's the funniest guy on the team? We always hear Eli's a prankster, is he? Eli Apple or Eli Manning? Eli Manning. He is. He got me mad one time because he threw a, 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 a medicine ball in the cold tub and it splashed on my phone and I didn't know it was him. <laughs> so I turned like, who the, who the, and it was Eli. And I'm like, Eli, dang, man, I can't really get mad at him. You know what I mean? Yeah, gotta let that I go. Just wipe my phone off, <laughs> you know? But uh, I mean, Snacks is very funny. Uh, DRC's a funny guy, Jack Rabbit. I mean, I hang around a lot of guys on defense. Uh, Odell, he's a prankster too, you know? But um, I think, Punchline for punchline, I think Snacks is one of the funniest guys. I mean, we always talk so much about chemistry on the outside. How much of a difference does it make on the inside? I think it matters a lot. The teams I've been successful with, you know, Super Bowl or not, you know, the good playoff teams that I've, I've ran with, great chemistry. You know, in New England when I got there, I knew it was something special about them. Not only just Bill and what he did inside the, inside the walls, but, you know, within two weeks I was hanging with, excuse me, I was hanging with Hightower and Jamie and Chandler Jones and, you know, uh, uh, Deron, uh, Deron Harmon and uh, uh, McCourty, you know, all those guys, you know, because they all hung around each other. You know, I'm just trying to learn the plays. You know, I'm trying to get a little more knowledge, you know what I mean? Because I just got there and they're all were hanging around each other. You know, and I know offensively, Shane Vereen hung with uh, Edelman and, 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 you know, it was, all, it, was, it was all like that. And the good teams, I think, are like that. All right, let's play a little, you know, let's how we'll wrap this. We'll play a little word association. We'll throw a word at you and tell us the first thing that pops to your mind, all right? Uh-oh. And then we'll take, some, we'll take some questions to the crowd. We have some tickets to give away to the Giants home opener. All right, we'll start with this. Roger Goodell. <laughs> <laughs> That's what came to my mind, a laugh. That's is this, is this a little giggle? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, man. Whew. Do I have to give a word or just, just that, say, that's your, say your If that's your reaction, that's yeah, your reaction. that's pretty much my reaction. All right, I'll, I'll yeah. throw another easy one at you. Colin Kaepernick. Tough situation. I, 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 I love everything that he did, but, I mean, to say that doesn't have anything to do with him not being on the team is just totally ignorant. Mm -hmm. that's, it's, it just sucks because I think he's a great quarterback. You know, whether his skills has diminished, which I highly doubt that, it, it's it's just puzzling to me how there are really you watch preseason games and there are really bad quarterbacks with jobs. A lot of them are <laughs> gonna have jobs. Maybe not starters. Maybe not. You know, there's some. There's you know 32. Hopefully we can get 32 good quarterbacks out there. But there's some bad 
backups in the league. You know, he's not a bad backup. I don't know. I, that's just kind of how I feel about it. You know, I, I, it's a tough break for him. How do you think he'd be welcomed in the locker room? We're in our locker room? Yeah. I think we'll I think we will welcome him. But we have a thing we do on the sideline before every game. And not to say that kneeling or sitting is something that won't be accepted, but I know that's something that we talk about collectively and that we're all going to stand. So that might be an issue. That was a team know. decision. But you it guys. was a team decision. How did that come about? How did you guys decide that? Mike you know? Sullivan, the offensive coordinator, he did uh, an army. He was, he was an army. And, um, he, you know, it's very close to him. Just about, not about all the standing up for yourself and all of that, but more of just the fallen soldiers and paying your respect to them because of what he's been through. And, you know, he's been out there, and some of the guys he went out there, his teammates that he went out to the battlefield with didn't come back home. It's for them. So it's, 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 it's bigger than, than that. It's, it's a little, little bit directed that way, but we all respect it. We, we salute it. And um, and we all do it in solidarity. CTE concussions. You think about it a lot? I I, I don't. Um, I try not to. You know. Um, but every now and again, it's like man, I be forgetting stuff, and it's like man, is that CTE, man? I don't know. I'm looking for my phone. It's in my hand. I don't know. You know, it's it's scary to think about it, but also you know, having a pinched nerve in your neck and not being able to move your right hand and you know, tearing your ACL and your Liz Frank too. Those are all scary things to think about as well. CTE is a little more post-football and worrying about, you know, if you could communicate properly when you get older. You know, it's something scary to think about, but when it comes to football, if you think about stuff like that, you don't, I don't think you should be playing the game. You know, and I think a lot of guys that start thinking about concussions and CTE, those are the guys that retire. I think if you do start thinking about stuff like that, it's about time to probably shut it down. You talked about the Cowboys and started. Let's wrap with the two division teams. Philadelphia Eagles. Second rival. Hated. I mean, I like Malcolm. Malcolm Jenkins is a good friend of mine. But hated, as in, like, you know, we're going to go down there and we're going to have a fight with them no matter how bad or good they are, how bad or good we are. It's going to be a fight. We split the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, and last year wasn't playing for anything. We were playing for everything. And we lost to them up in Philly. So, they are definitely a, a, a rival. And I say hated. I don't hate anybody, but I just know how a lot of Giants fans feel about them. Washington Redskins. They're the tricky team in the, in the division because they're the team that beat us last year at home, the only team we lost to at home. So I don't want to say Dallas is first, Eagles are second, and Washington's third because if you look at it that way, the Washington, if they are the worst team in the division, they're going to beat you at home mm-hmm. because you're going to look at them in that way. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying we overlooked them. We probably did. We probably did. That happens in the NFL. Exactly. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's a collective effort. It's a collective effort. You know, it's it's trying to, like I said, all of a sudden we're in a two-minute drill because we can lose the game or we can win the game. And we should have been beating this team by two touchdowns. You know, I'm not saying Washington was terrible last year, but I feel like the way the game flowed at home, we should have been beating them by two touchdowns. All right, let's grab some questions. Look Anyone have a question for Jonathan Casillas? Question. Hey, how you doing? Hey, uh, just wanted to say one, the uh, the play that you made at the goal line last year against the Ravens, one of my favorite NFL plays ever, man. That was that was amazing. I appreciate Seriously. that, bro. Thank you. Uh, wanted to ask a bit about the linebacking core, especially uh, B.J. Goodson. 
um, really made a step from last year into this year, um, starting middle linebacker. Uh, how, have you uh, have you seen him progress over the last year? He's progressed a lot. You know, he's uh, he's he was a situational role player last year and special teamer last year, and you know this year he's been basically handed the defense. Like, all right, you got snacks, you got JPP, you got OV, you got Landon, you got DRC. Get us lined up and make some plays. And he's doing a really good job. He's really young, very, very physical, um, a lot more physical than we've had in, I think, years past. And, um, and I'm excited to play with him. Appreciate the question there from John. Did anyone else have a question for uh, Mr. Casillas? Hi, John. So hey. the question I have is that um, last year through the preseason this year, uh, Spags hasn't been hesitant to use a lot of uh, corner blitzes and a lot of safety blitzes. Have you played on a defense before coming here that emphasized defensive back blitzes as much as this team does? I don't know if you, for percentage-wise, if you go like number for number, like, you know, Spags blitzes 45% of the time is defensive backs. I don't know, but when I did play for Greg Williams, he definitely blitzed a lot. And it was um, definitely a lot of corner and safety blitzes. And, and I can give you guys a little bit of uh, uh, insight on why they do that. Because when you have the guys, the defensive line and the linebackers around the core, when the offensive line, they start miking. I know you heard that. You're going to get Mike linebacker 52 or Mike linebacker 59. Because that's how they pass protect. They don't account for corners. So a lot of times when they pass protecting, the corners, they don't get blocked because they don't count them. And if they do count them, it's a late read. You don't expect a corner from coming from all the way out there to make any kind of impact unless he's coming on a corner blitz and you have to pick him up because if not, your quarterback's going to get hit or you got to get the ball out fast. Appreciate the question from me. And all right, we're going to wrap up our podcast portion of this. We're going to hang out. Jonathan will sign some autographs. You want to come up and say hi. We'll, take it. we'll hang out here. But everyone who's listening on our podcast, but we appreciate uh, Reds for having us out here. Jonathan, for being the crowd. You guys were great. Thanks so Thank much guys. for being here and being with us. And, uh, and let's wrap here. Uh, Jonathan, we started with this. We'll end with this. There's Super Bowl expectations around this team. Our listeners are really excited for this year's team. What, what message do you want to send? Final little message here for the recorded portion of this show, this podcast, for the expectations and the way you feel about them. Well, I feel like we have a, a, a great team, and uh, we're going to play some real good giant football this year. You know, I don't like making predictions or anything like that, but I think we're going to be better than last year, which is saying a lot. That says it all, I think. John Thicassius, everyone, thanks so much for listening to Episode 100 of Talk is Cheap right here live at Reds in Carlstadt.